What does happy mean? I want to feel finally free But I don't wanna talk about it I don't wanna talk about it There's life to live, it starts to see Our holes make whole our humanity And I just wanna talk about it Come on now, let's talk about it Hey guys, this is Healthy With Holes And I'm Sheree And I'm Danny. And last week we had a really lighthearted kind of check-in episode where we told you what we'd been doing over our absence. And of course this week we have decided to delve into deep and pressing matters. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, I want to do a moment of silence. It's going to be about 40 seconds long. I know that's a really long time to just listen to silence, but... I have a point, I promise, so bear with me, just be quiet for 40 seconds, that's all I'm asking. Listen to the sounds around you, don't get on your phone, don't do anything to distract yourself from these 40 seconds. Just listen, and we're going to start now. So the reason I had you sit in silence is because every 40 seconds, someone on this planet kills themselves. It's a sad but very sobering fact. It's an epidemic. One that's not being properly addressed by the media and people. We skirt around the subject of suicide because it makes us uncomfortable. We play it off because it makes us uncomfortable. The idea that someone is so miserable they would kill themselves makes us uncomfortable. It's time that we start getting comfortable in the uncomfortable because that's the only way we change things. Mm -hmm. So this week on Healthy With Holes, we'll be discussing suicide and prevention. We'd like to take this opportunity to just throw out a trigger warning. Um, like Sh- like Sheree said, throughout this episode, we're going to be talking about suicide. We're going to be talking about suicidal ideation, some of our experiences with it, and statistics, and things like that. What you can do about this global health epidemic, because it is an epidemic and something that really needs to be addressed, and we do need to talk about it. But if you're in a place where you can't talk about it right now, if you can't listen to this... We completely understand, and we encourage you, honestly, just turn this episode off. Listen to last week's episode. Listen to our episode about coping skills and self-care. Do something to take care of yourself, but don't put yourself in a mind space that's going to be dangerous or unhealthy for you. Very true. So, trigger warning talks about suicide. So, So, Sheree shared that... Oh, guys. Disclaimer... 
while we were preparing for this episode and doing notes, I've already cried like twice. <laughs> so if I just start crying, you can just cry with me or you can just not. That's your valid either way. Just like I'm valid in my t- tears because <laughs> I'm a crybaby. <laughs> but that's okay. Like Sheree said, nearly 800,000 people die by suicide each year. And to put that in perspective, that's roughly one every 40 seconds. 40 seconds feels like a long time when you're just sitting in silence. But 40 seconds passes so many times in just an hour in a day. It's... I can't even fathom that statistic. Mm -hmm. It's just... I can't... I don't even know what to say on that. So there's that. (laughs) But it's the second leading cause of death in people aged 15 to 24 years. Um, That's way too high. It is. It shouldn't be on the chart at all, in my opinion. Like, we don't even want this to be a blip on the radar. But it is. And it's really high on the radar. Um, That's why it's so important to talk about. And... One more statistic to throw out to you guys. Only half of all Americans experiencing an episode of major depression receive treatment. We'll talk a little bit more about how that ties in um, as far as mental illness and suicide goes. But those are my statistics I have at the beginning to just start you off with some information. To It's a little overwhelming, but like you said, it's sobering. Mm-hmm. So... In the midst of all these statistics, in the midst of this epidemic, like we said, what can we even do about it? Like, how do we even begin to address something so big, like, that feels so much bigger than me? I'm just one person. What can I even do about this? Well, um, see, the thing is, it does seem so much bigger than us. Mm -hmm. It's uh, something that you can imagine happening to someone you don't know. A character on a movie, a celebrity, uh, someone far off. Yeah. But what you may not even know is that your neighbor, your best friend, your sister, your brother, they could be experiencing all of these things. Yeah. All of these warning signs that you don't know what to look for. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking to think that someone you love if you've ever experienced it, it's something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Feeling so worthless, so at rock bottom that the only way to get out of whatever you're feeling is to end it. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever felt this way, you have kind of an edge when looking for warning signs. Mm-hmm. We tend to brush off someone's sad mood or bad mood when maybe we should looking we should be looking a little closer mm-hmm. checking in on them is your friend canceling too many plans maybe mm-hmm. you should check in on them mm-hmm. it's a matter of knowing what to look for that's when you can begin prevention right it really just starts with education it does like what if you don't know what to look for what are you people are you just end up blindsided Mm -hmm. and this isn't something we can afford to be blindsided about so a lot of our information we're getting from save.org it's a really good website with a lot of really good resources and we'll give you some more of those later but that's where we're also getting um just a baseline really it's different for everyone 
um, as far as warning signs and things like that go everyone's experience is different but there are a lot of similarities so in the spirit of education some of the warning signs to look out for are some are the obvious like talking about wanting to die or to kill oneself mm -hmm. if someone is saying that don't take it lightly don't take it as a joke it's it's not it's just not there's no other way around it mm -hmm. don't take it as a joke take them absolutely seriously and address it and we'll talk about more about how to do that um another one is looking for a way to kill oneself uh if you maybe stumble across someone's browsing history mm -hmm. on their phone or online i'm not telling you to go snoop through everyone's business but if you happen to discover something like this or concerning content that they've been searching through then that could also be a warning sign or even in a joking manner saying if i take all my prescriptions do you think that'll kill me right that's incredibly alarming and a lot of times someone in that state is going to pass it off as a joke because that's a coping skill it is it's ineffective but it is a coping skill and I think I've been guilty of that. I definitely have. Like, we we can honestly say we, we're guilty of that also. But we also recognize it in each other and take an extra careful eye. Like, okay, they're bringing this up a little bit. <laughs> this is a reoccurring topic that we've talked on today. It's, you have to make sure that you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. uh, really, through life, you need to pay attention to gauge emotions, reactions, and things like that. Mm -hmm. If something makes you uncomfortable recognize it and do something about it because I can guarantee you that if you're uncomfortable they're miserable that's a really good way to put it and it's really true it absolutely is true because we're not comfortable when we're around other people in negative emotions mm -hmm. I mean we're not even usually comfortable in our own negative emotions <laughs> but it's it's touchy to talk about so if it's making you uncomfortable that's a good sign you should probably address it the less obvious talking about feeling hopeless or having no purpose feeling trapped or being in unbearable pain or talking about being a burden to others there's a lot you can gather from comments from people around you yeah even if they're kind of passe like just oh man i just have no purpose or i feel like i'm bugging my friends all the time you know things like that speak volumes mm -hmm. in very little words or if they talk about how everyone hates them mm -hmm. um i know example. i'm guilty of that when i'm feeling down Mm -hmm. I will go on and on about how my parents wish I wasn't theirs. Mm -hmm. My sister hates me. You know, just if someone brings it up a lot, mm -hmm. they're probably in a place. And all of these, they may not necessarily be suicidal, except for the first few. Mm -hmm. But it's still a good idea to check. Yeah. Don't, don't let them tell you, oh, no, I'm fine. You need to make sure that they're okay because... Mm -hmm. I don't want to make this dramatic, but it is. Right. Um, they're responsible for their life, but if you notice these warning signs, that makes you kind of responsible. Yeah, honestly, it does. It does. And I, I hate to put that burden on someone, mm -hmm. and I hate to put that burden on me, but when you notice these warning, warning signs and you notice these not triggers but these red flags yeah it's time to get into action and doing the uncomfortable thing mm -hmm. i know we noticed something in one of our friends mm -hmm. we noticed 
that he'd been isolating, mm-hmm. stopped calling, stopped coming over, stopped coming over. Um, one of them was loss of interest. That's another one, and that's something that he was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other sleeping too little or too much, acting anxious, agitated, or reckless, withdrawing or feeling isolated, like you said, showing rage or talking about seeking revenge. Um, extreme mood swings, increasing the use of alcohol or drugs, and touching on that a little bit, any behavior that's super out of the ordinary mm-hmm. can be a warning sign. If one that's not, as people may not be as familiar with, is that if you have a friend or you know someone who's typically depressed and they're down most of the time and they suddenly act better mm-hmm. without any kind of, without any cause probable cause like they started seeing therapy or they started a medication those things make sense but if they haven't taken any steps to get better and they suddenly are happy-go-lucky sometimes that comes with making a decision then they look forward to the pain ending and that may be a sign that they have a euphoric state yes yep so we've talked a lot about the about the warning signs and it's easy to say what they are Mm mm-hmm but let's talk a little bit about what it looks like in us, how we manifest these warning signs and how we've recognized it in other people. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times it doesn't straight up come out like, I've lost interest and I do not feel well. Right. No one's going to come up and say, hey, I'm not doing well. Because a lot of things that accompany you in suicidal ideation is shame. Mm-hmm. For feeling that way, and then feeling guilty for even thinking about putting that on someone else. Mm-hmm. And so, this is why we do the podcast, guys. Yeah. We want to create a world where if you're feeling suicidal, go to someone, mm-hmm. go find help because you shouldn't feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. for feeling this way because so many other people do we felt that way you're definitely not alone and whatever you're feeling there's someone else out there that has felt the exact same thing and when you're in that place it seems impossible no one understands this no one could possibly be this low but i promise you there is someone out there who has and there i mean there's two people at this table right now who have felt that way are willing to listen know that you are valid in what you're feeling and there's 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 resources out there there's other options there is so i know that when i was uh suicidal it manifested as a numbness i had never experienced before Mm. um if anyone knows me i'm a pretty emotional person when i'm happy i'm real happy when i'm sad i'm real sad i Mm. feel my emotions very extremely So the void of feeling was off-putting, to say the least. But when you're numb, you don't really feel anything. You feel like ghosts of feelings. Yeah. Like, I should feel this way. Or, wow, I'm a little freaked out at how I don't feel anything. And that's what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. I was was a little scared Mm -hmm. at how I didn't care. How I didn't feel anything. I didn't... I'd cry. But it was more of an emotionless, tears running down your cheek cry. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a... 
I'm so sad, blah, blah, like I would normally do when I'm depressed. Yeah. But it had completely, like, passed that. Kind of this awkward in-between. Yeah. It was almost like existing and not existing at the same time. Would you say that it felt like it just didn't matter? Yeah. It just didn't matter to you? Yes, that's exactly how I would say it. It was this, I should be excited about that, but I'm not. Mm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the day that I was going to go home and end it, I busted out of that numbness really quick as soon as I got home. Mm-hmm. I ended up having a really bad panic attack in my car and like hyperventilating. I think I almost passed out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I went upstairs to our apartment at the time and I sat there and I stared at the bottle of pills for a while um, hoping it would pass Mm -hmm. but it didn't seem to it got so bad that I texted my therapist and I never text my therapist it was actually the first time I ever texted her Mm -hmm. and she ended up calling me and she told me, you know, like, impatience an option. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to do that. She's like, well, go to your mom's. Because I think you and your fiancé were at your parents' or something Yeah, that we night. weren't at home. So you were alone at home. I was, alo- I was very alone at home. Mm-hmm. And when you're suicidal, lonely feels echo. It's mm-hmm. like standing in a ravine and being able to cry out and no one hear you except you hear your own voice coming back at you. Yeah. And so, like, I want to... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get into that just yet, but before that, I think I had isolated a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't think I stayed out in the living room with you and Gabe. I would say you were isolating a lot more than, like, your normal behavior, yeah. I spent a lot of time in the shower. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Two to three hours. Mm-hmm. in the shower just sitting I don't think I think there were a couple showers I didn't even wash mm-hmm. I just sat there in the water crying um, at work it manifested in disinterest mm-hmm. um, bad moods I was very agitative like someone looked at me wrong and I was like say that to my face yeah. <laughs> you know and um with my family, I was ignoring calls, mm-hmm. uh, canceling plans I had with my mom or my sister, and I guess you said you could say I was very disinterested. D and D, like we talked about last week, is usually a wonderful coping skill for me. But and I I want to say this lasted months. Mm-hmm. All of these warning signs lasted months because there was a while that I didn't play. D&D the way I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one time we were playing with our online friends, and I just laid down and fell asleep in the middle of the session. Mm-hmm. And things that I loved weren't exciting. And I'm ex- I'm a very excitable person. Mm-hmm. I love the things I love very much, and they make me excited. They put me in a good mood. But in this time, it was like seeing things through water. Mm-hmm. My vision was very blurry. 
I couldn't focus on anything. It wasn't... The only thing I could focus on was how empty I felt. Almost like grayscale lenses. Yeah. Nothing had color. Yeah, exactly. It was like watching this montage of a person I didn't even know's life. Mm-hmm. I felt so disconnected from who I was. Right. And I, I was positive she was never going to come back. Mm-hmm. And so disinterest, uh, agitation, mood I swings. mood swings. I don't think I slept. Mm-hmm. Um, actually... A really good friend of mine's last day at work I didn't sleep the day before I did I didn't sleep and I went to work and I came home around 7 I fell asleep woke up and stayed up got sick and ended up having to miss her last day at work which made me feel even worse mm-hmm because I was positive I, di- I lost my chance to say goodbye. And so, um, I guess if another sign that we didn't talk about is giving away things. Oh, that I can't believe we missed that. <laughs> um, if your friends start telling you they love you randomly. More often than usual. More often than usual. Uh, not like me. I will tell you I love you all day and... All day and all night. Yeah, we say it a lot. It's important. <laughs> it's important. But if a friend who doesn't really convey those kinds of feelings just tells you, you know, I love you and I want you to remember that, that could be cause for alarm. Yeah. Check in on them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they start giving away possessions, mm-hmm. just saying I don't need it anymore mm-hmm. or anything, that can be cause for alarm too. Um. If they start, if they start writing notes and not letting you see them and putting them in envelopes and then giving them to you, that's a cause for alarm because I did that. Mm -hmm. I still have them, (laughs) but, um, just be aware yeah actually a funny story after I got out of inpatient my sister my sweet (laughs) lovely little sister she's 21 and she's about to get married so I'm really happy for her but congrats a year ago when I got out of inpatient you and I decided to go to my mom and get our hair cut because it was summer and it was hot like drastically cut yeah. We were ready to chop it off. Yes. Because we both have had really long, really thick hair. Yes. And I wanted to change myself because um, if you've listened to our inpatient episode, I didn't have a great time. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to change something. I wanted to, you know, you fix your hair and it, the rest of the world's better. Like it fixes all your problems. Please tell me we're not the only ones that feel <laughs> this way. I've seen memes about it online so, obviously, like, someone on Facebook somewhere agrees, but there's got to be more people that feel like cutting their hair is going to fix everything, right? Or dyeing it. Yeah. So, Surely. we decided to cut our hair, and Danny was standing by the doorway while my mom was cutting mine, and my sister was angry that I had decided to cut my long hair. 
She loves your long hair. She loves my long hair. I'm actually growing it out, and I'm not allowed to cut it until after her wedding. <laughs> um, but Danny overheard her talking to her fiance, boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. saying, isn't this a sign? And her boyfriend was like, what? This is a sign. Drastic change. Mm-hmm. And Danny had to reassure my sister that I was okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't cutting my hair to go off myself or mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. But that's also a sign. A drastic change. Uh, one last effort Yeah. to try to make their life more livable. Yeah. Lots of kudos to your sister for being aware of, like, trying to be aware of a situation and recognize signs like that, especially mm-hmm. in the in the climate that we were in at the time. Yes. So super kudos to her. It's better safe than sorry. What's the harm in being like, hey, is this a sign and are you okay? Yeah. And I was able to tell her, hey, I can confirm. I do believe she is to be okay and I will continue to check on her because we live together. Yeah. I can check on you easier than your sister could. Mm-hmm. So we were able to collaboratively as a group Establish, yes. <laughs> I am okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think she, that was marvelous of her. You know, um, my sister's been pretty great. Mm-hmm. I'll sidetrack a little bit. Um, when I started having panic attacks and um, my mom finally told her, you know, like she has anxiety and we were able to explain to her that's why when I get into these moods, I'm more agitated Mm-hmm. And she started looking stuff up. Mm-hmm. Doing research. Doing research and figuring out how it worked and why I, what would help this. And so my sister's been really supportive throughout my whole mental health journey. I love her. <laughs> I hope she listens to this episode and knows how much I love her. <laughs> so, Danny, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. what did what did it look like for you? Well... So, if you've listened up to this point, you've probably gathered... There's been a couple different times in my life where I've been at that point, mm-hmm. to varying degrees. So, I'll talk about... And it looks a little... It looked a little different in different points in my life, too. So, that's something to be aware of. <laughs> but, there's a lot of things to be aware of. But, um, when I was younger, and it first kind of started manifesting, and I was getting lower and lower in my depressive episodes, and getting towards... Um, the area of ideation, it looked like recklessness. I was doing things that were dangerous. I was doing things that were obviously bad for me. Um, and it includes included substance and alcohol abuse. I would drink too much. I would... Um, my choice of substance at the time because of my age and accessibility was NyQuil, honestly. And so I drink way too much cold medicine all the time it helped me i my what i would claim is that it helped me sleep Mm -hmm. and i felt better because i had horrible sleeping patterns i always have so recklessness with that drinking way too much half a bottle up to a bottle sometimes wow yeah so it wasn't an outright from my perspective at the time it wasn't an outright attempt but i did agree with my the dark side of my mind at the time. Hey, if it happens, it happens. It's just that recklessness of casting it to the wind and being like, hey. If I die, I die, you know. Basically, yeah. To put it bluntly, yeah. That's exactly what it was like. Um, 
probably agitation, uh, lashing out at friends and stuff like that, because hurt people hurt people. Yes. So, I was a very angry person when I was feeling that bad, and would take it out on other people, and that kind of helped with the isolation, because if I had pissed people off, they'd leave me alone, and if they left me alone, I could sit and wallow and think about how I was going to be reckless again, and if it could maybe do the trick this time. Right. To be honest. Um, I hate to be so, like, brash Candid, about it. but... But it is what it is. It's... Skirting around it is what's get, gotten us here. Yeah, the... Yeah. It's a huge problem, being vague and being, you know, this is uncomfortable, but it is what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what was going on. That's the honest truth. <laughs> yeah. So... Flash forward a little bit in my older years, when I started going to therapy and things like that, it looked more like, well, it still looked like isolation and bad sleeping habits, definitely. I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. So, I have attempted before, Mm -hmm. and that resulted in an ER visit, and leading up to that time, it looked like, I don't even, I it's such a blur almost thinking about that time that it's hard to even say what it looked like. Revisit. But, yeah. But I definitely wasn't sleeping. No. I you was, were going like days at a time without yeah, sleeping. I was going days at a time without sleeping. I was just a mess. I was irritable. And a lot of those things are symptoms of not sleeping, but they're also symptoms of suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. So I was isolating a lot. I had a lot of disinterest. I didn't want to play D&D anymore either. And I didn't want to hang out with my friends. You I, spent most of your nights in your room. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time in the shower, too, because mm-hmm. Gabe would be in my room. And I'd be like, well, I don't want to hang out with him. I don't want to hang out with my friends in the living room. So I would just sit in the shower and sob for hours, mm-hmm. like you. And I would just sit in there, and there's multiple... I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but... There's multiple occasions that Gabe had to come drag me, physically drag me out of the shower or the bathtub Mm -hmm. because I'd be sitting on the floor just falling to pieces. Mm -hmm. And he would literally get a towel and physically remove me from the bathroom so that I would get in bed or get dressed. He would dress me. It was just an incapability to... Continue living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if I was incapable of functioning as a normal human being... Like, I couldn't even stand to shower or put my clothes on afterwards. So if I was incapable of doing that, then what was the point? Right. Kind of. And so I attempted. I uh, tried to overdose on uh, unnamed medication that turns out doesn't usually result in death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't do the research, which is probably better. Yeah. Considering. And, but Gabe came and found me and found out and found the empty bottle and took me to the emergency room. And then I was in a sheer panic, which we don't have to get into that this minute because we're talking about warning signs. But like you said about the panic attack and stuff, I was freaking out. It's like you have a moment of clarity. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what I did. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And if you have someone there to kind of reassure you, cling to that clarity and to like be your anchor in this fog and this sea of just depression and mm-hmm. anxiety and this numbness that just overcomes you when 
you it's like slipping in and out of reality mm-hmm. it's like you have a moment where you're like wow i'm really gonna do this i, I want to live and then you slip back out and then you're like yeah. you know what never mind i don't yeah yeah, so absolutely. it's important to have an, a support system and it's important for a support system to know the signs Yeah, to be able to be that anchor mm-hmm. because they're not going to come for help when they've decided. Yeah. I mean, it's, if it's someone who struggles with that for a period of time already and they have a safety plan in place, mm-hmm. it might be a little bit different, but in general, once you've reached a certain point, there's a certain point of no return where someone else has to step in. Yes. There is a point of no... I don't want to say... It's never too late. It's absolutely never too late to recover from that and come back to yes. reality and get out of that fog. But there's a point where they're not going to do it by themselves. Exactly. I want to say that. Especially if it's decided. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've chosen how, you've mm-hmm. chosen when, and you've chosen place... Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping you. Mm-hmm. Unless you get that moment of clarity, which is far and few between. Mm-hmm. At this point, you're. that's why you have to notice. Because they are so far deep into this depression that's over, overwhelming them, crushing them. And they're ha- having a hard time breathing. And to them, they're drowning. Mm-hmm. They have been fighting their whole life or for months, and they're not coming up anymore. So why even try anymore? Mm-hmm. That's why you have to notice the signs, because you have to do prevention. And I'm going to start crying any moment now, because it's so important to know the signs. Mm-hmm. A life is at stake. It's not, oh, well, it's just Jerry being Jerry again. No, Jerry has been trying for months. He's thought about this for weeks. And here he goes. This is his cry for help. These warning signs are a cry for help because it is shameful to him. Mm. He feels ashamed. He is scared. And he doesn't know what to do. You have to be that life raft. Mm -hmm. You have to step up and notice these warning signs and be educated. Or else you're going to lose Jerry. You have to be an anchor. Everyone needs to know this. Bosses, employers, co-workers, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, because everyone needs to be aware. You need as many anchors as you can possibly get mm-hmm. when you're in that position. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry for going off the deep end, but this is really serious business. Yeah. This is important. So please... If you have any questions about warning signs, feel free to message us. Go to save.org. I'm sure the suicide prevention has a website of their own. Mm -hmm. Call a crisis line and ask for help. Do whatever you have to do to be educated. Yeah. A lot of ERs and hospitals will probably educate you on warning signs. Mm -hmm. If you think a friend might be going through this, there are things you can do to prevent it. Yeah. And we're going to go into that in just a moment. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. It didn't seem like it to you, probably, because we cut it out, but we took a brief intermission, collect ourselves some TLC and some laughter therapy, because humor is good for the soul. Um, but that's okay. That's important to know. If you're dealing with something heavy, it's okay to take breaks. You're valid in that. Come back to it when you're ready again. So here we are. Ready to cry again. (laughs) Um, 
so we're going to talk a little bit about prevention. Let's start with seeking help for yourself or someone else. We touched on that a lot. That's the first step in prevention is being aware of how you're feeling and being willing to see, recognize how other people are feeling and being willing to seek that help. Yes. Early identification, treatment, and care of people with mental illness. These are so, 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 so important. Um, early identification, recognize the warning signs. Treatment, this could include going to an ER in a state of crisis mm-hmm. because they will treat you. It is an emergency. Going to your primary doctor if you feel like you're exhibiting these signs, if you're feeling depressed, or going with your friend to a doctor if they're not comfortable going by themselves. Um yeah. I don't know if you'd mind, but I know I've gone with Sheree before to her primary care doctor when she was feeling really depressed and possibly suicidal. And I went with her so that I could explain my perspective of it because you are in that fog. Yeah. I didn't really know what to tell her. Yeah. I think you did most of the talking mm-hmm. and she just verified it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the only reason I was able to get the first anxiety medication I got. Mm-hmm. And start that road. And start started the road to medication. Mm-hmm. I know that I've also went to the ER with you. Yeah. And was able to kind of hold your hand through that process. Yeah, because it was not easy. It isn't easy. It's, our, it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But when something's needed, it doesn't matter how scary it is. Mm-hmm. It's good for you. Absolutely. Do the hard thing if it's the right thing. Yes. And the right thing usually is the hard thing in a lot of areas. That's just my mantra for today. Do the hard thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, next is inpatient treatment, medication, psychotherapy. We have a whole episode on inpatient treatment. Go back and listen to that if you want to hear about our experiences with that. But that is an option if you're in that place or know someone in that place. It's a really good option, too. It's a very useful, very vital tool. Medication is a good way to manage mental illnesses and um, even brief episodes of major depression and things like that. You may not have chronic illnesses, but you may need a little bit of help dealing with the right here and now to get you up out of that hole so you can start talking about it and start dealing with it with coping skills. The way my therapist explained it to me when I first started seeing him was because I didn't want to take medication. I hate taking meds. I still hate taking meds. Yes. But I was scared to start. And the way he explained it was that I was in a hole so deep that in that hole, it was too dark for me to see anything he was talking about. Anything we did in therapy wasn't going to really do much if the chemical chemistry in my brain wasn't up to par. Right. So medication was going to help pick me up out of the hole a little bit, get a light the way a little bit. And then psychotherapy coming in from the back, help me continue climbing out on my own. Mm-hmm. And a suicide, suicidal ideation and a suicide attempt are very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. They are horribly traumatizing and you may need some medication to help deal with that trauma. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to rely on medication and to, look into using your your resource resources such as a therapist a psych a psychiatrist and mm-hmm. even an er mm-hmm. that's what they're there for care of people with mental illnesses um so i don't have a lot of specific statistics on this but 
I do know that having a mental illness is a risk factor for suicide and suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. So some of the most common are people with depression, major depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, and people who struggle with substance abuse. Yes. These are all risk factors that can make you more likely to struggle with suicidal ideation. And these are things that need to be recognized. So in people who have these risk factors, it's even more important to pay attention to that and, you know, just check be aware in. of them. Yeah, check in. Thank you. Responsible media reporting. I could go on about this for a long time, but Days. I will not necessarily jump on my soapbox altogether. I will say... If the media was more solution-oriented, we'd have less exposés on statistics and the aftermath of what's going on and more stuff on prevention and the beforehand, what can be done and what isn't getting done and what needs to be changed and all this good stuff that needs to be addressed that instead we're always... It, it feels like to me... Maybe it's just because news is so sensationalized. It is. It's, here's the drama. So it feels like, to me, it's always, here's, we're cleaning up a mess. Yep. And here's what the mess looks like, and here's us cleaning it up. How sad. It is sad. And it is a mess. And it's awful. Don't let, don't let that sound like I'm belittling it. But there's so much going on beforehand. That if it's recognized, it could be prevented. This whole mess... Mm -hmm. air quotations, mm -hmm. could be fixed before it even happened. The problem is sensational news. It is. And it drives me insane. And I probably look, I, thank goodness you guys can't see me you, because I have my hands to my head and I'm like waving them around and looking like <laughs> a lunatic. But that's okay. Um, sensational news is a huge problem in our society for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because it's not solution oriented. It isn't. And the other thing that happens after a suicide uh, in the media is people want to say they were such a good person. They were such this and this. They were wonderful people. They were this. If they're so freaking wonderful, why aren't we focusing on how to save them? I feel like everyone's ready to say nice things when it's too late. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to express feelings when it can make a difference mm -hmm. and that can sound very generalized uh, not everyone's like that and I don't want to victim blame anybody or have anybody who has suffered like in their family or in their friend group or anything like that feel belittled but it's I'm talking about the media I'm not talking about any single person I'm talking about sensationalized media in our society and its contribution to, well, not much. It's not contributing to anything helpful. It's contributing to panic and contributing to negative emotions and mm -hmm. not in the way that is going to help, mm -hmm. but in a way that will keep people coming back for more. Yeah. And that's really sad, but that's my soapbox on that. Uh, last but not least on our list of prevention techniques and tips... Reducing access to lethal means. I am not going to get, we're not going to get political on this podcast. We're not going to argue for or against any kind of gun control and nothing like that. We're talking about if you have a specific person in a specific situation who does own guns, maybe 
while they're feeling this way, see if a friend can hold them for them for a little bit. Yeah. See if they can store them away from the home. That's usually the ideal go-to. Yes. Um, if they have a lot of medications and they do take those routinely, it may not be ideal to store them away from the home. But is there a trusted family member within the home that can store them in a lockbox and have the key? Things like that. Uh, just reducing access so that if it, to make it more difficult to develop a plan. Very true, yes. Because, like you said, there's a difference between ideation and intent. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that line crosses, when you cross from suicidal ideation into intent, that's when you change from prevention into crisis intervention. Yes. And that's when you're starting to do things like store firearms and medications and any kind of lethal means that they could use to harm themselves away from the home with a trusted individual or getting rid of it if that's Mm -hmm. a possibility. I know that when I started um, getting suicidal again and it it seemed to our roommate Austin Mm -hmm. that I was sliding into intent a little bit. Mm -hmm. He took my medication. Mm Mm-hmm. And kept it in his room and doled my medication out to me at night. Mm-hmm. No more than I needed. And then he kept them himself. Mm-hmm. And then the previous time when I was going to attempt, your fiance took my medication mm-hmm. and gave it to me when I asked for it. Yeah. So if you're feeling like you are slipping from ideation to intent, give your medication, give your firearm, give whatever you can to prevent any possible you're sliding into intent you're gonna find another way eliminate what's ready to you absolutely and if you see this happening maybe you should sit them down Mm -hmm. and talk to them Mm -hmm. and be like listen i care about you and i love you and i don't know what i would do without you how can i help keep you from doing this that's absolutely what you're supposed to do if you see Sorry, I just did a training on this. I don't mean to sound like, hello, (laughs) I am the professional. I'm not a professional. We just... But you are a certified crisis intervention. Yes, I did. I do have a certificate now. um, But that's absolutely what you're supposed to do. If you recognize these signs in someone and they have access to lethal means, um, you're supposed to create a plan with them and ask them. You're supposed to have them come up with a plan. So in crisis intervention, approach the first step. One of the most important things and most powerful things you can do is ask outright, are you feeling suicidal? A lot of times we shy away from that and we just say, hey, you doing okay, buddy? Mm -hmm. And that's a straight yes or no question. You want a more powerful yes or no question and you want to get to the point immediately because it draws out, you're going to draw out the truth. If you ask someone point blank, are you planning to kill yourself? It's startling and it's uncomfortable. And a lot of times for some reason, I think the media might have something to do with it, but I think a lot of times for some reason we worry that's going to make them think about suicide if they weren't already. Like if you're going to approach someone who's depressed and ask them if they're suicidal as if they're magically going to be like, oh, what a good idea. You're right. That's not going to happen. No. It's going to help. You ask them point blank, are you planning on hurting yourself? If they say no, okay, let's resolve this a little bit more and let's talk it out and see if you don't just take that at face value yeah if you're already concerned there's a reason you're concerned so you need to address those things so bring up why you're concerned okay well what's going on this is what's going on 
These are the things that I've recognized in your behavior, and I'm a little worried, and I do care about you. And emphasize how much you care about them, and that you don't know what you would do if they were gone, and that you love them, and so what can we do to help you feel better? And what can we do, what can you actively do uh, positive coping skills? Right. If they answer yes, are you planning on killing yourself? Yes. Okay, next question is, do you have a plan? And if they say yes, walk through that plan. What is your plan? Tell me what you're planning on doing. This is super uncomfortable for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. I've been Having asked, been asked. <laughs> yeah. We've, I've been asked too many times, hey, be, I've been asked at the ER. I've been asked at a primary care doctor. I've been asked by my therapist. And I've been asked by my roommates. Yep. All on separate occasions, sometimes during the same season or episode, but it makes a huge difference. It does. And it lets, and and the more you ask someone this, the more they feel comfortable coming to you when it's really a problem. Absolutely. Because now, the last time I was feeling some ideation, I went to Gabe and I said, hello, dear. How was your day? I love you. I want to hurt myself. Like a casual conversation. And there's nothing casual about it, but the good thing was that I felt comfortable enough as if it was a casual conversation, I should And that's the goal. Yes. To feel comfortable and being like, hey, I want to hurt myself. And the next thing he asked me was, okay, do you have a plan? And I said, nope, I do not. It's not to that level. I just, this is how I'm feeling. And he said, okay. And we took care of that and practiced some coping skills and some self-care. And I felt better. I felt better the minute I told him how I was feeling. Right. So ask them if they have a plan, have them walk through the plan with you, and then reduce access to lethal means again. Take away the, the options for that plan. Okay, your plan is to do XYZ. I'm going to take away XYZ so you don't have that option. Here's wh- what, what do you think is a good idea to do? How can we prevent this from happening? You right. want the person who's in crisis to be actively a part of the, the intervention. They're more likely to go through with the plan. Absolutely. Another thing to point out, though, if they readily, if they, if there's no hesitation from them in giving up their access to their means, they probably have another plan. They're just statistically, that's nine times out of ten, that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. There should be some hesitation and then hopefully they cooperate and then they, they come up with a plan to give up access to lethal means. Right. If... There is no hesitation. Be a little on alert and keep an eye on them and talk to them a little bit more. Just continue the conversation. That's the most important part, which is why we have this podcast is to continue that conversation and make it open and available and make yourself open and readily available to hear what they have to say. Right. And don't, it's uncomfortable, but don't be afraid of what they have to say. Yes. Be completely vulnerable with them. Allow them to be vulnerable Because that's where healing happens. It is. And you can't stay behind a wall and expect anything. Yeah. It's nothing's going to happen. Don't approach them like, hey, are you going to kill yourself? Because they're not going to open up to that. Be very, uh, not cautious, but not guarded, but vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Sit down and be like, listen, I love you. I care about you. And I've seen what you've been going through. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself? Mm -hmm. 
and that's where you come you come from a place of love of mm-hmm. caring of of action mm-hmm. and that's where you're gonna come from because I know that looks a lot different you have the warrior kind of love that's like I will fight battles for you mm-hmm. and that's what you're gonna be doing you're fighting a battle with this person mm-hmm. you have just become not front lines because they're front lines but you are their support and mm-hmm. D&D you'd right be giving them health potions yeah this <laughs> That's an important job because if they don't keep up their strength, something bad's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, talking a little bit more of crisis intervention, that or just continuing that conversation, that's pretty much the basic. But the most important thing you can do, or I'm not sure how to word this, I'll just go with that. The most important thing to know is that if you feel like someone's going to hurt themselves... If you've had this conversation and you're convinced they're going to do it, call 911. Do not hesitate. Do not feel bad. It doesn't matter how they're going to feel after this. It matters if they're alive. We talked a little bit about a friend of ours that we had noticed had been isolating and had mood swings and things like that. We talked to him before recording this episode and he gave us permission to share those things. So we had this friend and we had noticed these things going on with him and... He, I don't remember exactly how it happened. He had written notes. He had written notes. Well, he started me- messaging us. Yes, it was kind of out of the blue, especially since he had He'd been, been missing. He had we been... hadn't really seen him. No. And, and if we sent him a message, it was one word answers like, okay, I'm fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he started messaging us. And it felt weird from the start where like when you know something's off. Yeah. But it was a normal conversation. Just short answers from him Mm -hmm. and then it started to unfold Mm -hmm. we asked him are you gonna hurt yourself and he said questions maybe and that's when we got in our car we lived at the time we lived about 30 minutes away from him Mm -hmm. so we continued the conversation via text i gave my phone to sheree because i think we had been talking to him on my phone well we it was in the group chat Oh, that's right. But you had been the one he wanted to stay in contact with. Okay. So. So I had been talking to him and I didn't want to stop talking to him and him be alarmed. My phone died. That's what it was. Oh, your phone died. That's right. So, and I didn't want to stop the conversation. We wanted to keep him active in conversation. So I gave my phone to Sheree and I drove probably too fast. Follow speed (laughs) limits. Just drive right. Mm -hmm. But... We drove the 30 minutes and continued talking to him and he realized that we were on our, we were on our way. Yeah. And he said, don't come here. I don't want to see you. And (sighs) we were like, then meet us somewhere. Uh, Let's go to Denny's house. Yes. Let's go get a drink. Do you want a soda? Have you eaten? You know, let's practice some self-care stuff, basically. Let's go to the park. Let's go to Lookout Hill. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, let's do something. And he was like, no, I don't want to see you. I'm fine. I'm cleaning my room. Mm -hmm. And we had him send pictures. Do not be afraid to ask for proof. Yeah. If, If it's happening over messenger text, do not be afraid to say, take a picture of where you are. We needed proof that he was safe and sound where he said he was. And he sent us pictures of his room. So we're getting closer. We don't want to barge into his house at the time he lived with his family. 
and we weren't sure how to approach the situation because they weren't woke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they didn't know that he had been struggling with depression, and that's a separate issue, but we just knew that we needed to do something, some kind of intervention, and it felt like a crisis. So I called him, and we talked to him briefly. Before he hung up, as we heard the signal in his car. I heard his turn signal, and we knew his plan. We knew exactly what his plan was. Because we had talked about it before in a good state, what his plan was if he ever felt like that again. So we talked on the phone briefly, and we heard the turn signal in his car, so I knew he was on his way to go enact that plan. And he hung up on me. And I had a decision to make. <clears throat> Sorry, we haven't really talked about this like, no. since it happened, really. It's been a while. Um, I had a decision to make. Because I was convinced, I was 110% convinced that if I did something drastic like call 911, he would never speak to me again. That he would hate us. But I was also convinced that if I didn't do something, I would never see him again. <laughs> So, so, um, she called 911 and they wanted to know where he was, where he lived. Sadly, we don't have our friend's address, um, memorized. So we told them the road and that he was the second house or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're like, but he's not there. He's driving. We don't know where he is. So we start driving around like maniacs trying to find him. Our, our friend Jackie was a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she was driving all over the place. We were looking and, um, finally he calls, uh, Jackie mm-hmm. and tells her that he's at one of our favorite parks. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, well I'm headed that way. Mm-hmm. And about the time that we got off the phone with Jackie and started heading that way, the cops called and asked where he was. And at this point, we... there's no stopping it. No, it, the whole, it's just a rolling snowball effect. This is happening. There's mm-hmm. no turning back from this point. Um, but that's a good thing because you don't want to just stop and be like, okay, everything's fine now because yeah. it is not fine. So we told them where he was and we headed there too. And we all, we got there about the same time as the cops. We mm-hmm. rolled up right before them and we jumped out of the car and they jumped out too. And we're like, who the heck are you? And we're like, please don't, sh- hold on, hold on. <laughs> I called you. <laughs> So, um, anyways, already very long story short, sorry, uh, the cops came out and talked to him and the only option police have is to escort you to the emergency room, the local emergency room in their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So we went to the ER, we talked to them and he's okay. He is. (laughs) He has sought therapy since then. He's began medication. And I would say from my perspective, he's doing amazing. He's doing wonderfully from our perspective. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a breath of fresh air to see him happy. Yeah. Um, It was a rocky road after that. It was. I skipped over a bunch of stuff real quick. But um, a statistic that everyone needs to think about. People who have attempted in the in, in the past are more likely to do it again. Mm-hmm. It raises your chances of suicidal attempts. So keep a f- keep an eye on your friends. Mm-hmm. Even if they seem all well and better. Because a lot of the times, 
it's almost like a learning experience for them. Yeah, I can attest to that. I can attest to being in the emergency room, being in that almost exact same situation. No one called the cops on me, but I was escorted by my fiance. Mm -hmm. I can attest to being in the emergency room and thinking, well, next time is going to be completely different. And I can also attest to the shame and the guilt I felt and how awful, like, I could not, I couldn't imagine facing my friends again after that Mm -hmm. and having to look you in the eye and be like, well, yeah, I did that. I almost put you through the most unimaginable pain. Yeah. Um, But here we are looking at each other. (laughs) We're looking at each other real good. (laughs) Crying. (laughs) You're beautiful. Uh, So are you. (laughs) So... Wow, our <laughs> listeners just have to be a part of our little powwow for a minute, but... <laughs> um, Keep an eye on your friends. Once this line of conversation is open, do not let it close. Mm-hmm. Keep checking up on them. Do not let the, oh, well, they're out of this crisis because another one will come and they need you. Your friends need you. It's not a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. It is a reoccurring thing. It may not get that far because you are the prevention Mm-hmm. You are the rock. You are the anchor that tethers your friends in, in place. Just like your friends need to be an anchor for you. Absolutely. Um, one of the most important things that happened after the attempt and after the 911 call and all that drama. First of all, he does speak to me still. Yes. <laughs> in case I, I guess I didn't clarify that. He does still speak to us. We're on great terms. We're still best friends. Um. One of the most important things that happened afterwards was we enacted a safety plan and created a safety net. If this happens again, what will we do? And he was a part of creating that safety plan. Yes, he was. So we all are on the same page. We all met up. We are all on the same page. If you feel like this, this is what you do. And if that doesn't work, this is what you do next. And your safety plan is going to be different for everybody. But it's essentially coping skills, self-care, and a support system. Yeah. My safety plan, when I'm feeling like that... Is to talk to somebody in my support group. I made this with my therapist. Talk to somebody in my support group. And if that doesn't work, try coping skills like drinking a hot tea, taking a shower, um, things like that. Self-care. And if that doesn't work, talk to somebody else in my support group. Most of mine is talking to people because that helps me the most. Right. Um, Because I'm so bad about isolating So the opposite of what your negative coping skills are are usually what you're going to try to use in your safety plan. It's going to allow you not to fall back into that that, uh, routine. Exactly. you got to replace those things. So, and if that doesn't work, if I've talked to Sheree and Austin and Gabe and my mom, like my inner circle, if it doesn't work and I still feel like trash, I go to an outer circle. And if these don't work, I am allowed to text on an emergency basis my therapist And if that doesn't work, I'm supposed to go to the emergency room. And that's our plan. And we agreed on it. And he's had it drilled into my head. And I've had to repeat it to him a billion times. Mm -hmm. And technically, I'm the one that came up with it. He helped. But I talked to a friend. I talked to a therapist. Go to an ER. And the ER... I have enacted this safety plan before. You have. And I ended up an inpatient. And it... I... Here I am. So it worked. Right. (laughs) So, um... Establish a safety plan with, after crisis intervention has resolved and calmed down a safety plan so that another one 
doesn't have to happen like that. Right. And by definition, a crisis is a short-term event. Mm-hmm. A very short-term. It can only last for so long. Crisis, by definition, is just a little burst of something out of that seems or is out of your control. So once you get it back in control and the time has passed, it will pass. A crisis always passes. It does. So intervene, make sure everyone's safe, be there for people, and make a safety plan. I think we've been on our soapbox <laughs> long enough and we've kept you here for a while. Thank you guys for being patient through our sobbing and our drama. <laughs> um, if Real quick, I want to talk to the people who decided to listen and they're feeling a certain way. Good idea. You are not alone, and I know it feels like you're drowning. I know it feels like you're, you've fought for so long, and that it's, it's just not worth to keep fighting. It is. Recovery is possible. This is just a season, and it will pass. If you don't have someone to anchor you to, the, to reality, to make you feel like you're loved, reach out to us. Reach out to your primary care physician. Mm -hmm. Reach out to someone. Because you are loved. I guarantee you, you have people who love you. It's just hard to see them because your vision is so blurred. By the shame and the depression and the pain. Mm -hmm. You aren't alone. There are people who have felt the exact same way you do. And you are not less if you reach out for help. Danny's going to read off some crisis lines Mm -hmm. and you can call these if you're feeling suicidal, uh, suicidal ideation, uh, self-harm, I believe. I think that's on here. If it's not, I'll put it in the description underneath the, on the podcast and on Instagram and stuff like that. Okay. Um, the general national suicide prevention lifeline, uh, this is the call lifeline. They also have a website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I believe they have chat options on there. I believe so. Uh, The phone number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's also a Spanish version, which is 1-888-628-9454. There's a Veterans Crisis Line, and it's 1-800-273-8255. 8255 and you press option 1 there's a crisis line called the Trevor Project wonderful organization I was going to say the same thing <sighs> it's for LGBTQ youth in crisis um, I believe they also have a chat option on their website just look up Trevor Project online and you will find it yes you will um, and the phone number for that is 1-866-488 7386 there's a crisis text line there's a crisis text line you text the word start is what it says in the instructions on here but we've we've texted hi or hey yeah you just text this number it's 741741 
um, you just text them and you'll be connected to a crisis counselor and you'll be able to chat with them that way if you have a harder time if you don't want to talk over the phone. There's also a... That's the same phone number. Never mind. There's also a text option for veterans and it you text to 838-255. And on this website save.org they have a lot of options for chatting like i said yeah there's a trevor chat for the trevor project and there's trevor text so if you get on this website they have they'll can you will get connected to somebody yeah someone will be readily available to talk to you about what's going on if you don't have someone in your life that you're comfortable talking to so and it and that's common it takes a lot of practice to be comfortable going to your fiance or your mom and saying hey i'm suicidal it does it takes i still have a lot of problem with it and i've been practicing for four years right so you know it that's okay we've texted the crisis lines many occasions more times than i can count i've called them a few times Mm -hmm. have you ever called them i have never called but i've texted i think one time it was like once every night Mm mm-hmm See, so those resources are there for you. They're not just there to sound pretty. They're there for that reason. So please utilize those resources. I've called them. I've talked them up for five minutes to two hours. You know, they're there for you. That you're the reason they're there and you have a purpose and there's just so, just, I love you. (laughs) Whoever you are. I think that's about all the time we've got. We've taken up a lot of the time. (laughs) So the main goal for Healthy With Holes when we started this was to create a conversation. Mm -hmm. To create a conversation to end the stigma around mental health. Mm -hmm. Because there is such a stigma around feeling vulnerable. Around feeling depressed. Around feeling anxious. Or having hallucinations. Or Mm -hmm. the the things that people get diagnosed with with dealing with daily life. Mm -hmm. So we encourage you to go out. And start a conversation. Start a conversation about suicide. Start a conversation about bipolar disorder. Multiple personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder. Whatever disorder you want to talk about, Mm -hmm. talk about it. Because Mm -hmm. that's the only way anyone's going to be able to feel comfortable asking for help. Mm -hmm. Is if this becomes normalized. Absolutely. If you need any tips and tricks on that, you you can contact us at... Healthy with Holes on Instagram, at Healthy Wit, W-I-T Holes on Twitter. We are on Tumblr now for any Tumblr users at Healthy with Holes. Mm-hmm. We also have a Facebook page, Healthy with Holes. It's the first thing that comes up when you search it. Yep. So start a conversation, reach out to us, reach out to those around you. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Drink water. Step Eat outside, your vegetables. Get some vitamin D. Eat celery Uh, no one eats celery i don't know i just feel like it's a really underrated vegetable okay (laughs) everyone have a nice night day whatever it is bye bye